0: Hello and welcome to OIO New Game Plus. I'm your host, Tom Selachik, and joining me today are Hobby Box Joe Burns and Scott Bullard. Glad to be here. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this show. You may notice that this podcast came up in your Outside is Overrated feed. First off, thank you very, very much for subscribing to Outside is Overrated. This show is a part of Outside is Overrated, but we are going to release this segment each month as a separate item in your feed. We are doing this because we hit our goal on Patreon of raising $125 of support each month. If you enjoy this segment, please consider backing us on Patreon at patreon.com OIO. This month, we played Oddworld Soulstorm, developed by Oddworld Inhabitants. This game was released April 6th and was a free download for PlayStation Plus members. The game was a reimagining of a 1998 PlayStation title called Oddworld Abe's Exodus. I'd never played or even seen an Oddworld game before this, Joey. What was your level of familiarity with the franchise heading into this game?
1: Yeah, so I've—I mean, I've heard about the franchise quite a bit and seen it, like, seen reviews and stuff like that in gaming magazines when I was younger. Um, and I've even seen like Lauren Lanning, who is the creator of Oddworld, uh, like, talk about game design and game development and things like that. But I've actually never ever played an Oddworld game until now. It's just one of those things that I kind of always missed. Uh, until now it was, you know, thrust upon me by PlayStation Plus, so.
0: And Scott, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that Oddworld is one of your favorite franchises. When did you get into this franchise and what originally drew you to it?
2: Um, Yeah, I would say Oddworld is my favorite franchise. Number it's, one. Uh, I've been over, a fan of it.
0: Over The Legend of Zelda, like over uh, Smash, like I know some of your favorite franchises. Yep. Oddworld is truly number one for you.
2: Yep, it's number 1. Been that way for a while now and yeah, I mean lots of lots of series out there that I really love and uh I don't know, there's there's something just quirky and unique about Oddworld that that pulled me in a long time ago. And uh I, one of the first times that I ever heard about Oddworld is from some old uh GamePro magazine ads. And uh they I, I remember seeing them and they the art style in them just looked so unique and just sucked me in so much that I just had to try the game out.
0: This is such a fascinating thing. You actually found the ad online and you put it into our show notes for this. Like the art (laughs) is just wild for this game. It's one of my favorite things. We'll talk more about the art style later, but I'm very glad you found this little piece of history and shared it with us.
2: Yeah, I did. I Actually, there's there's more of them than that, but I just I didn't want to overwhelm the show notes with pictures. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to throw in a couple of ones that I remember distinctly seeing. And uh, yeah, if you're listening, you can look it up. It's it's just put in the uh, meet the odds ad and Google image search it and it'll pop up. But it just kind of shows like the different different variety of enemies that you would face up or face in the games and uh and then on the at the very end of the ad it shows you playing as abe just this weak pathetic looking little normal guy (laughs) and it just it that contrast really stood out to me and i just had to find out more about this game and i was hooked ever since
0: well this ad brings up an interesting thought for me we live in an era where we can get so much information on a game before we actually have to play it like we can read magazine coverage we can watch video coverage before we make a purchase we can watch people stream it on the internet like we can be really familiar with the game do we think that that is good or bad for the video game industry the amount of access we have now before we actually invest in a title
2: i think it's definitely good i mean more information is always better but i mean it does it's it's a big contrast to how we used to have to check out games where you just look at the box cover in the blockbuster and, you know, man, I hope this game is good because that's how I'm going to spend my entire weekend. And if it's not, well, you're out of luck. So
1: Yeah. And, and like one of the big revolutions was when like GameStop started having videos screens in the stores and would show you like actual footage of the game. And you're like, Oh, that's how it works. Or, or target would do that sometimes too. And so, yeah, that, that, that was like the first time you actually got to see the stuff really in motion. Um, unless you had like, you know, you, you waited like four hours for a video trailer to download from GameTrailers.com on your 56k modem, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. it's, it's a great time to be a gamer right now. Like, there are so many ways to protect your purchases. Like, I love video games, but it's a bummer when you purchase a game on day one and it doesn't meet your expectations. Like, fortunately, we don't run into that very much anymore. So let's break down the experience of Oddworld Soulstorm from a gameplay perspective. This is a puzzle platformer. You will make your way through a part of a level, then you have to stop to navigate an environmental puzzle. You could be required to use an item to open a path, or possess an enemy, or disable a mine, or overcome some other obstacles. Traditional Oddworld games have you enter a screen, you solve the puzzle, and then you exit on the other side of the screen, and then a bunch of these screens make up a level. One thing that I thought was super interesting about Soulstorm, the levels are long, 2.5D tableaus made up of similar encounters, so you'll navigate an environmental puzzle, and the board continues seamlessly into the next encounter. Scott, do you think I uh, summed up the gameplay adequately?
2: Uh, Yeah, basically. Um, It's, yeah, basically a a 2D side-scrolling puzzle game. Um, Some action elements here and there. And uh, I think that's that's one of, um, the, I don't know, the very interesting things that they did with this game is they started it off with a kind of a big action sequence where you're running out of uh, Abe's kind of new home that he found at the end of the first game. Um, and it's, it's a very different feel, a, a different uh, take than kind of the rest of the game, which is much slower paced. And you know, there's there's other action sequences kind of later, but for the most part, it's you kind of approach a situation and you assess what's going on, and you kind of have time to to figure out the best way to tackle it, and you know, plan a strategy. And in the beginning of this game, it's you know, you're running from flaming pillars and you know, enemies that are chasing you down, and and it's, so it's it's just a very different. It's a it's a big contrast to the rest of the game, which I thought was kind of a a weird way to start it out.
0: I thought that first level was a lot of fun. I actually really liked it. I'm like, Oh, I'm super into this. And then, uh, the second level kind of took me a little bit by surprise, but thinking about that core gameplay loop, Scott, this is your favorite franchise. Are you happy with the way they executed the core gameplay in this game? Um, yeah,
2: I'm I'm very divided on it because uh, I mean a lot of it still feels very odd world and and when I say it feels odd world I mean it feels like uh, the first two games because there were two games um, back on the uh, original PlayStation that released just a year apart from each other actually it was nine months apart from each other um, but then there are two other games that are 3D and are very different um, but when you think of or when most older fans think of Oddworld they think of, you know, the 2D side scrollers, but I just kind of wanted to get that clarification out of the way. But uh so this one kind of goes back to that same style of the the 2D puzzle game. And uh there are elements of it that make sense in like why they needed to kind of change things up. Um but there are certain elements that don't really feel odd world like it's the the older games never really had levels you just kind of go from one area maybe you know there were like parts where it would it would need to load and you would go from one area to the next but it seemed much more fluid this one is they are very decisively like it cuts off and tells you you're at the end of the level and it gives you like a score which odd world games have never had a score they've they've always been uh, meant to be much more cinematic. Like the old ones didn't even have a HUD. There was no UI, nothing, and uh, it was just to kind of give you that more cinematic experience. And uh, so for this one to have like a bunch of crap on the screen <laughs> and like things popping up, tell you, telling you when you like checked 20 lockers or something like that um all all that really kind of bothered me and i I didn't really like the the take on that because it felt kind of arcadey in something that was supposed to be much more immersive you know uh so that's a start i could i could keep going on (laughs) about uh different things but
0: well let's turn it over to burns what were your thoughts on the core gameplay loop
1: so for me there are times where i really did get into it um uh, like some of the puzzles for me were really engaging and fun. Uh, like, so one of them that I put in here was one of the more recent things that I did in the game was uh, in Sorrow Valley, there's a sort of mineshaft, little mineshaft that you go into. And there's a couple of, there's like four, four dudes that you can save in there. Two of them are kind of inside this room. And then two of them are kind of up above and i thought it was really neat because you you can go up and get the guys up above and you need to put them on top of the room to open the doors um but then there's dogs that are sleeping on the other side so you have to like strategically get each one of the guys that are in that room out with the other people sort of standing on top of the button pads to keep the doors open then you gotta wake up the dogs and try to get them to jump through and close the doors so that they're away from the side so you can get them through And I, like, puzzles like that in this game I really enjoyed. And um, for me, if the majority of the game was that type of stuff, um, I would probably have a lot stronger feeling about the game. Uh, But the fun with the puzzle subbing for me, became bogged down at times with struggling with controls. Uh, So, like, jumping especially, I could never get a handle on it precisely being able to double jump to a ledge and grab it every single time. Like, I just could not get it. I don't know why.
0: And let me jump in there. I've heard lots of complaints about the controls. I thought it was a little clunky, but I didn't run into major issues. Scott, I'm really interested in your thoughts on the controls in this game and how they compare to Oddworld in the past.
2: Um, I, see, I A lot of people have been complaining about it, too. And there, there are some... Instances where it was a little uh, um, sluggish at points, but like overall, maybe it's just because I feel uh, somewhat comfortable with some of the older world games that um, it didn't really bother me as much. Um, because I know some people tried to tackle a lot of sections as if it were action, and it's like you know he doesn't move like Mario. Um, <laughs> it's you have to you're much more deliberate in the things that you do, and when you're trying to get up onto a platform and um it it much more favors animation than it does uh like tight platforming controls but uh no i lost my point
0: (laughs) that's fine i thought this was interesting i i approached it very much like mario my first take and i got past the first board i'm like oh yeah that's pretty fun and the second board i started to struggle i'm like oh i don't know if this game is for me and then uh
2: yeah, that's right. I think that first board kind of sets it up to almost seem more like a Mario game, it's just true. a you know, hop and bop platformer.
0: And then I, I did some more research on Oddworld and I saw like what the old games were. I'm like, oh, everything in this environment is trying to kill me. And I just needed a completely different mindset. It's like every single thing is lethal and I just need to just like pick my spots like I'm walking on very thin ice on a lake. And then I was able to progress a bit more.
1: So, mm-hmm. and, and and I can understand that. And I, I sort of realized that too, trying to play it a little too like arcadey and less like sort of planning the moves better. But then there's certain instances, uh, in maps where, so say for instance, uh, you have like a sort of chasm that you have to climb up and you have ledges that you can jump up between. Um, I'm thinking of one specifically in the Fununcular uh, where, So you have these like platforms that have the rolling grindy things and you have to, there's two of them that kind of like rotate in and out. And so sometimes like if I try to jump up and grab a ledge, he just doesn't jump the right way. He doesn't quite grab the ledge. Um, And then sometimes, you know, when you drop down to a ledge, you'll drop down to the ledge you want to go. Or sometimes you just drop straight down the chasm and into the grindy thing. Uh, And then Compounding that then, not just with your controls, but then if you have a that you're trying to get to go down the same shaft at the right time so that the moron doesn't just run right into the grinder, uh, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm fighting with that and I'm fighting with the AI, uh, like yelling commands at him. Sometimes he listens, sometimes he doesn't. And so like some of that stuff where it almost made me try to play a little more action-y or quickly... Uh, is where it sort of ground down for me. Um, another spot is like times where you're trying to figure out what you need to do on a map. And then like, you're just a constant barrage of things hitting you. Uh, that also kind of ground things down to a halt. The blimp map specifically is the one I'm thinking of where you're just getting pummeled by mortars. And like, if I could see the entire board, from safety that would be one thing but the problem is is like on some of those maps you can only see like the top third and so as you get going downward you start to see oh here's a, there's an enemy here i got to do something with that and then you don't have anywhere that you can hide that's going to block you from getting hit by the enemies and so you just have very little time to try to think of that and i i it, it's one of those things that just started to become a struggle because then it became less about like figuring out the puzzle um, in the way that I wanted to try to figure it out and more about, okay, I'm just going to possess this guy, have him kill a bunch of people. Hopefully I don't get shot, Uh, possess another one, try to kill a bunch of people. And and then it's like, well, then I have the negative quorum that I'm dealing with. And is how, how much is that going to dick me in the end? Uh, (laughs) And so it's just like, I had all these things that just sort of got in the way of, the parts of it that I liked which was trying to actually figure out the puzzles and really get into that um and I don't know if that's just a soul storm thing or if that is an odd world thing overall
2: well I mean it's definitely supposed to be difficult the old ones were always known for being difficult but not always for those same reasons like that blimp level is kind of a, a standout thing it it the old ones never had anything quite like that and I again I think that was like because that's only the second or no that's the third level
1: the third level
2: and yeah like I thought that was a very strange thing to put so early in the game and that kind of um, brings me to a point of this game's development which was uh, very unusual and I think you can kind of see signs of um, that it was assembled in a strange way because they had like. I mean, first of all, I I should say that you know the the older Oddworld games um, they have there's quite the story of their uh, their um, production and the creator that uh, Joey already mentioned, Lorne Lanning. Is it's hard to talk about Oddworld without bringing up Lorne Lanning because he. Man, that guy is a storyteller. If uh, <laughs> if you ever yeah, like, I recommend listening to some of his interviews. And like, there's a there's one um, by Ars Technica that's especially good, where he talks for like almost three hours straight, and he's he, like his whole history, him talking about uh, just like growing up and how he got into the games industry. And like the first hour of it, I was like, oh, you know, I I thought I was going to be listening to Oddworld stuff and about an hour in he finally mentions Oddworld and I'm like oh yeah like i was just <laughs> i was so so engrossed in listening to like his story of getting into the gaming industry that i almost completely forgot what we were supposed to be listening to anyway um so but they they were an indie studio or no sorry they they had um uh, producers and and stuff back then and uh, then they took the studio independent after their fourth game and so the last two games that they've put out have been independent and so uh, they're basically just surviving off the success of their previous games uh, so for this one they had kind of a strange um, work environment where they had I think it was like seven studios or something over four different continents. So, like, the production was spread all over the world. They said, like, at times, you know, at, at every hour of day, there was someone working on the game because when one studio would go to sleep, another one wakes up and they start working on it. So, but um, getting back to your point about the blimp, I swear I'm trying to tie this back <laughs> that's in. That's fine. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, uh, you can see how certain levels... Um, have parts that seem like they're out of order almost. And uh, like in um, uh, Fat Station, I think, which is, I want to say like this is the fourth? No, that's, I, I think.
0: I thought it was the fourth. That's the one where right. you're getting
1: the antidote, right? No, 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 uh, no, no. That's no, the no. fununcular. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fat the, Station's the after Sorrow Valley.
2: Yeah, it's, I think it's like the sixth or seventh stage, something like that. Um, but like when you get there and you're, uh, you start talking to the Mudokins and there's a little, uh, you know, along the way, there's, um, little tutorial things, little prompts that come up that tell you, you know, how to play the game, like in, in many games. Um, but for this one, it, it pops up at like the sixth or seventh stage in the game when you've been doing this for a good chunk of the game already. And, you know, like you should already know this and it's telling you, how to do this very basic thing. And you'll kind of notice some of these out of order. And it's it seems very clear to me that they worked on certain stages much earlier than others, and they, like, reassembled them, and there, were, there had to have been, you know, changes late in production of, like, when these things go where. And it, uh, yeah, like, some of that stuff um, seems... You know, I don't want to say it's obvious, but it, it seems like something was definitely up. Because, I mean, they haven't said anything like that, but it seems kind of blatant to me.
0: That is super interesting. And something that we mentioned on the Borderlands show that will air in about two weeks in OIO, we talked about Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier and just our amazement that any AAA game is ever actually released just because of the myriad of issues that always come up in development of any ambitious title.
2: Good yeah, scene. I know. Like, I think it's kind of amazing, too. And, and like, this one has been in development for like seven years too. So, <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it's
2: yeah, amazing that any game comes out. Period.
0: <laughs> Congratulations, Oddworld Soulstorm! You made it. This is something else that Joey touched on: saving Mudakins. Abe, the main character, the protagonist, is tasked with saving his fellow Mudakins in every board. How well you succeed in this task determines the ending that you get. If you fail to save at least 80% of his peers in a number of boards, you get the worst ending and the game ends early. You can replay any levels you've unlocked at any time to improve your Quarma. But Scott, how did this experience compare with past entries, and how did you feel about its execution in this game?
2: Um, well, the games have always had a, uh, a Quarma system. Um, they kind of divided, uh, the endings into a good ending or a bad ending, um, I'm not sure if all of them had... I, I know they at least all had two, um, except for Stranger's Wrath. I think that one only has one. Um, but so this, again, like it being kind of a level system, because um, they never had that before. It's it's you either, like as you're progressing through the game, um, you if you screw up, I mean, maybe you can go back to the last checkpoint, to try and save some of the mudokins that you accidentally killed. But if you go to the next one and it saves, um, or if you accidentally, or if you just save after you've killed a few mudokins, well, you know, that's, they're dead for that playthrough. You have to start the game all over to try and save them. Oh, God. Um, And on this, yeah, so on this one, um, it being broken into levels kind of made it so that when you, um you know if if you killed a whole bunch of them on a certain stage then you could go back and replay that level and try to get 100 percent on it so it made it easier in that sense but um yeah the levels has kind of been a strange uh change for this one
0: conceptually i love that i mean it sounds like a big quality of life improvement but as somebody who's played all the old games scott do you like that system or would you rather it stayed closer to the traditional experience
2: um. Well, I don't. I don't really mind like the chapter select thing. I like that, and and in, I think they should put that in more games. I just kind of don't really like the blatant like l- you're changing levels now. It pops up a big thing at the end that says success, you did it, you know. And then it starts mm-hmm. like tallying your badges, and it makes it feel very, uh, I don't know, video gamey. I guess. Which I mean, yeah, it is a video game. I know, but. Right. <laughs> But, you know, instead of just like going into the cutscene, which some of these cutscenes are absolutely beautiful and one of the highlights of the game, um it you know, it it just seems very jarring to me compared to how it's always been done before.
0: Certainly. Uh thinking about saving Mudokins, for me, this is where the experience really started to fall apart. Those dudes were idiots. Um let me double check what I texted <laughs> Joey last night. I wrote <laughs> These mindless effing idiots deserve to die. <laughs> that was on uh, board number four, I think. Uh, so you're finding these mudakins all over the board. Some are hidden where you can't see them, hidden behind like environment pieces, and it was just really challenging. Like I, conceptually, again, I liked this, and I liked uh, like I like being able to replay the boards and redo it. I just uh it was such a chore to try to get them to the safe points where they could jump into the portal and like the second or third time like I had to reload a checkpoint because an idiot waited until like the grinder was directly beneath them to jump in like that was just kind of where I fell out of love with Soulstorm
1: So I have I have one question so cuz when you have them to save like in the bottom corner of the screen that shows like the little persons and stuff and then it's green if you have them it's white if you save them if it's like got an extra room if they're dead and so on and so forth or it's red if you have them holding somewhere um the the order that those light up in is that like the order that you could encounter them on the map or is it kind of random as to which ones are which in there because that was what I was trying to go by was oh I found these guys but they're like three rows over Are three columns over so are there some that i missed before that in the level or like that was one thing i wasn't 100 percent sure on
2: there's so typically they are you're right they they get them or you get them in order or like they show up you know on the bottom of the screen in the order that you find them throughout the stage but there are like two levels which that that really (laughs) kind of messed with me too and drove me crazy (laughs) that they they have them out of order and there's like I i think it was um it's yeah, it's fairly early. So you probably ran into that. Yeah. Um, I was it Soro Valley, I think. Uh, where one of them, or no, maybe it was the funicular. Um, but anyway, yeah, like one of the first ones shown, like on the, on the, UI, is actually one of the last ones that you get in that stage, and that's <laughs> infuriating for someone who's trying to find everything yeah. and feeling like you missed something. <laughs> So yeah, I, I I have no idea. But normally, like maybe that was just a mistake. At least I hope it was, <laughs> because why you would do that to someone to just <laughs> drive them insane is just mean.
1: Uh, one of the... world's a forgiving place <laughs> as an unforgiving place. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> very
2: unforgiving.
0: One of the ways you're able to manipulate these followers is you're able to give them verbal commands, which I didn't mess around with too much. I did basically one board where you're trying to find all of them. And then I was uh, then I was full Brian on this game. Joey, what were your thoughts on the verbal commands?
1: Um, so when they worked, it did help. So like the example I talked about before, like that was one where I figured, and, and you know, the, the system also works where if you just tap the direction pad, so basically up on the D-pad is to tell the person to follow you. And then down on the D-pad is to tell them to stay in the same spot uh, the other two directions, I never really figured out how that helped at all. Um, one was aggro yeah. and I, I don't know, I didn't figure that one out yet. Those kind uh, but, of
2: come into play a little later in the game.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, but then if you just tap it, it's telling it to one person, the one closest to you, but if you hold it down, it's going to tell it to all of them in the area. So that's one way where if you get a group of them together and you're going to go try to get one straggler, you say, okay, you guys wait here. Cause I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna spend 20 minutes trying to get this one dude uh, through these, like, five grinders. Um, uh, so, yeah, so it, it worked. There was a couple of times where I realized, and uh, I think it's to simulate, you know, the person being a scared moron, but sometimes they just don't listen to you. And that, like, got a little infuriating to me, but I can kind of understand, based on the animation, that it was because he was scared that he wasn't following me. Um, and then like seconds later when the grinder was right in front of him, he decided he wasn't scared anymore and killed himself. Uh, so, you know, that's just, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But, uh, I, I think it, I know what they're trying to do. And it's like kind of that Lemmings experience, right. Uh, where you have to, you have to go out of your way to make sure they're not going to kill themselves. Um, and, and while I, I get what, that's what they were going for, it didn't always end up being, a enjoyable or rewarding experience when you get kind of stuck in that loop with one guy that just, just isn't doing what you need him to do.
0: And I want yeah. So, Oh, go, go ahead, Tom. No, you go ahead, Scott.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, um, that, yeah, like the, the first time I played through this game, I just kind of, I, I knew that I was going to be playing through it multiple times anyway. So I just kind of had a, uh, you know, relaxed attitude about it and just whatever happened, happened. If I lost like five guys jumping over a buzz would well, okay, I'll get you next time. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it didn't really bother me. And then by that, by the end of the game, by the time I had to go back and actually focus on saving them, I kind of understand a little bit more how they moved. So, like, I'm not sure if that's something that's, uh, just kind of you, you have to become familiar with it over time but like I, i mean i've definitely watched streamers play and seen their frustrations and i understand why because like they'll climb up a ledge and there's guys standing below them and the guys won't jump up to the same ledge that they're on and they're like come on get up here come on and of course like it's tracking your horizontal movement so they'd have to take like a few steps forward and then they'll jump up and so like i kind of understand that that's how it works and so i if i want them to jump up i just do that but you know watching someone who you know it's it's not explained to anyone and at, right, no. at and in any point in the game so like i totally understand people's frustration with it um but i think you know i don't know it just it just didn't really get to me but um but yeah I, part... I i get yeah go ahead
1: yeah and part of it is is trying to figure out how they put things together too like so for instance that one where there's the two buzz saws kind of one at the top of the chasm and one at the bottom And you have to lead one guy down to get across and you have to jump over kind of in the middle of the chasm to get towards where like the gate is, the the bird gate or whatever it's called to get them out of there. Um, And I realized after a couple of times that even though I could jump from like that middle ledge over across and exit... He had to go all the way down the cavern and all the way back up. He wouldn't make that jump there, so it's like, okay. So now I got to figure out how to get him safely beneath the bottom buzz saw, back up through the buzz saw to get him around it. And yeah, it just it took a it took a bit to figure that out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, moving on to another gameplay element, there is inventory and crafting in this game. In each level, you have basic tools like water bottles, rocks, and bottles of highly flammable Soulstorm brew to solve basic puzzles. If you search through lockers and other containers, you get components to craft a myriad of tools to make the way easier. Now, I didn't get very far into this game, uh, and I didn't get far enough to really utilize the crafting system. So, Scott, I really wanted to pick your brain and see what some of your favorite items were in the game.
2: Well, first of all, I kind of just got to talk about the crafting system. A little bit as a whole here um which uh i don't know i don't want to go too much just into like game design theory as a whole but you know i've read a lot of people complaining about the uh crafting system and i gotta say i kind of agree with them on a lot of points um because it's just it's it's not implemented incredibly
0: well Sorry, I was just going to ask you to summarize some of yeah. those uh, key points that people have because I'm not super familiar with them.
2: Right. So um, one of them is that uh, it's... it's for Okay, so the items that you get are... There are a few of them that um, kind of cross over and can make multiple different items. But for the most part, a lot of the ingredients that you get are you can only make one thing with them. So, uh, like, for example, if you get detergent, you can only use that for uh, making smoke screens. So if you get detergents, and I mean, well, and brew, which brew is used in a lot of things, that's one of the things that crosses over. Um, but if you have detergent and you have brews, then you can you can craft a bunch of brew and you have to go into your menu to craft each item and yeah every time you have to hit square to craft the new item and so when you have a bunch of detergent and you have like tons and tons of brew you have to sit there and like craft a whole bunch of smoke screens which it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when if they want you to have smoke screens they should just and you know and you can't use that detergent for anything else they should just give you the smoke screens then you know what i mean because there's no point you're just forcing someone to go into a menu and sit there and hit a button a bunch of times and that's not exactly fun and so that kind of irritated me a little bit
1: well and then i think the other thing that i have found out the hard way was at the end of the map uh calculates everything and you lose basically everything that you had from a material standpoint. So not just the items that you can actually throw and use in the environment, but it's also all of the things that you crafted. Now, if you craft an antidote, you have that antidote kind of moving forward. Um, But some of the other things like the, uh, the mines and stuff like that, uh, you would have to craft that at the end and use that in that map, I believe. Otherwise, you just don't have it anymore, right?
0: So you're collecting all these resources, which is super duper fun. Everyone loves picking up moon grass in a game, am I right? So you're collecting <laughs> all this stuff, and uh, you're telling me at the end of every level, it just goes in the trash. So like, you're not collecting all of these so that you have a big bag of tricks when stuff gets real at the end. Like, there's no long term payoff for collecting these resources.
2: Yeah, that was something that totally baffled me too, because I my first time. Playing through it, I ran into that same exact thing and I, I go into the next level and I see a slig, one of the, the main enemies that you encounter in the game. And I'm like, oh, okay, time to pull out uh, you know, I don't know, a, a brew or something and throw it at him because he's walking in front of fire. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't have anything. Like, where did all my stuff go? And that's, that's, I think one of those, one, another, uh, effect of like implementing levels is you know I'm going from these old games that were much more seamless and transitioning from one area to the next and now when you go from level to level it wipes out all your inventory for no explainable reason.
0: Can you imagine if Bloodborne did this like oh well, <laughs> level one weapon have fun with the snakes dude yeah. <laughs> yeah oh that's brutal that's an unfortunate choice that they made and uh that is something that brings the whole experience down. Uh, crafting... and I wonder if it's yeah. I
1: wonder if it's just for the simple fact that if people hoarded stuff like you would just be able to make stuff like and then it would just make yeah. the rest of the game too easy cuz you have a zillion of these things but there needs to be some mechanism for that right
2: yeah i can definitely see how like there are areas where they want you to tackle it in a specific way or like they they want to kind of teach you something like early on to to do a stealth part and if you're like loaded up with all these weapons then you're not gonna play that the same way as the way that they're trying to get you to to play through it and so it's i don't know it's just kind of a like, I understand why they're doing it, but it seems like uh I don't know, there could've been a a smoother way to to deal with the inventory system.
0: And I've got it. All you need is a base building mechanic. At the end of the world, Abe or at the end of the level, <laughs> Abe gives all of his stuff to the followers so that they can build up whatever Mudakan castle they need to, and you know, there's a perfectly <laughs> There's plausible deniability at that point. Like, you can get into that. It's like, oh, yeah. You know, Abe is this self-sacrificing hero. Like, he gave up all of his brew and all of his smokescreen and all of his batteries and all of his wires and everything else. I opened every one of those GD30 lockers for. Yeah. <laughs> his buddies just needed it. Perfect. So when when you did craft something, when you did have the opportunity to actually take advantage of the system, were the items fun? Because, like, literally all I made was the antidote and a couple of sun mines. So what were a couple of, like, the standout things you could make?
2: Yeah. Or well, just uh, you mentioned the antidote. So I got to talk about that real quick because that was a confusing thing, too, because you you craft an antidote and that's put in with the other crafting items. But you only craft one and you only need one. And once you craft it, that never leaves your inventory, but not everything else. So like, yeah, like Joey was talking about, that's just that just makes it that much more confusing. And that was unnecessary. Um but anyway for the other items <laughs> uh yeah I did I I liked the brew which was kind of the focus of the game and I know that's something that uh they said that they've been wanting to do since the original one back in 1998 um to have this like flammable brew um to to have stuff burn down and kind of play with liquid and burning licks and stuff like that and so like how how they used a lot of that stuff I thought was really cool um unfortunately I I think for for how much work they seem to do on it, I don't feel like they used it enough in the game. I feel like there should have been more points where you're using that um but uh, yeah, I also thought the uh like the fizzy Pows, which uh, I don't know if either of you got to a point where you get those yet um it's well basically there's there's uh fizzy pops it's basically you just get a pop out of a or a soda we're living in Minnesota here, so we call them pop <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, you get a soda out of a vending machine, and uh, then you kind of get the uh, oddworld equivalent to Mentos—they call them blastos. <laughs> yes. And so you take you take the the blastos or the Mentos, and you put it in the fizzy pop, and then you throw it, and it basically acts like a bomb. And you can use that to like destroy uh, collapsible sections, and uh, you can throw it at enemies and explode them, and it creates this really cool like green explosion effect. Um, and so I thought that was really fun. But uh, one of my one of my big um, issues with crafting, again, was a lot of the items were very similar. Some of them felt like they served exactly the same purpose, or it was just, you know, a slight twist on the previous one. And you had to use previous items that you crafted in something else, so you could kind of, like, upgrade the item that you had already crafted to something different, but a lot of times there wasn't really a necessity for it. You just kind of had more stuff that did almost the same thing.
0: Well, that's so interesting because that could be like a feeling of progression. Like if you started with a basic tool and then you upgrade it to do this extra thing and then you upgrade it again to do an extra thing, like that sounds like it could be a really cool thing, but instead they just take all the items away at the end of the board and start over again. True. Yeah, truly unfortunate. Uh, Did you guys have any other thoughts on crafting or should we move on?
2: Um, no, well just, yeah, I, I know they kind of did this as a replacement to some of the mechanics that they had in the older games, which, um, not, not to compare it too much to the older games, because this is kind of its own thing, but it's hard when it's, you know, based off another game that already exists. It's basically a reimagining of the same story. Um, and, in the older games you i mean you still had the the possession or you still have that now um but in the older games there were so many more enemy types besides like in this one there's sligs um slogs the things that basically act just like dogs uh and then later on there's sleeches these things that attack you in the dark and i think that's mostly it. I mean, you know, there's like environmental hazards like bombs and buzzsaws and stuff, but as far as like enemies go, there really isn't that much compared to what you had in the old games and it, they allowed you to possess all these different things, which made it way more fun and I thought it was a much better mechanic than the uh the crafting system that they implemented.
0: There are 17 levels in this game. There are 17 levels in this game, and you're telling me that there are, like, three or four enemy types, and that is it in the entire game? That's all? And
2: in, Pretty much, yeah. And in past it's games... really, really unfortunate.
1: Like, and, some of the sligs have different weapons, but they're still sligs, yeah, that or is, they can fly, or
2: right like i think that's kind of their way of getting around it and trying to diversify the enemies while still kind of using some of the same stuff so that they didn't have to build an entirely new enemy type but
0: but, but there are other enemies like in the lore like scott i rely on you for a lot of game design decisions like why would they do this is it an issue of resources do they run out of time and money in their creating enemies department or i i just don't understand
2: honestly i'd say that has to be it um I know I think a lot of the decisions that they made, you can obviously tell it was due to resources because I mean, it is a a huge game, and um just in in the length of it and the environments, and there's so much detail in all the environments and cutscenes and things like that, um, to have just a huge enemy variety on top of that would have added like this game wouldn't be out for another few years
0: (laughs) sure well given your love for the franchise let me ask you as the hardcore fan would you have preferred this experience longer and maybe with sparser enemy types or would you have liked a shorter more focused experience say half the boards but with a lot more enemy variety what do you think you would get more personal enjoyment out of
2: yeah i would say shorter with more enemy uh, variety but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it's hard because um it, you know, it's it's always hard. It's it's or well it's the grass is always greener on the other side. Right, right. But sure. uh, yeah, I think I think having the variety in enemies would help keep it fresh for for longer. Um yeah.
0: Sure. Well, let's talk about the setting for this game. This game takes place on Oddworld, a place that I had never visited before. And apparently it is a place where giant corporations subjugate lesser races. Scott, can you tell us what the hell is going on here?
2: Yeah, so you kind of nailed it. Um, the uh, There's you know a, a big theme of uh, these corporate entities that kind of take over the planet and uh it's you know odd world is kind of supposed to be a uh a mirror of our world but like exaggerated to like a cartoony extent almost you know and so uh lorne lanning the the creator has always kind of had a uh a criticism of like capitalism and consumerism you know the the excesses of it and uh he kind of wanted to just tell this, this story through these, like this like weird lens that kind of like distorts everything. And like, he always calls it, um, is that the X-Files meets the Muppets, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, very, uh, cartoony looking characters, but there's some weird, crazy stuff going on. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that kind of drew me to the world. Um, and it's it's told from the perspective of Abe most of the part. Like, a lot of the, what the world actually is, I've kind of just gathered from outside interviews, listening to Lauren Lanning or other people at Oddworld talking about it. And he, man, that guy, like I said before, he could talk so much. And so he is told, like, so much more about what's going on. And that's that maybe is part of why this world is so much more interesting to me is because, like, I know so much more than what's actually in the games and I'm just waiting for the games to catch up. Um, but, you know, for, for the beginning of it, the perspective is basically from the point of Abe, who starts off as a slave working in this meat factory. And, uh, as he, well, and on his first day there, this is going back to the first game, Abe's Odyssey, um, on his first day there, he discovers some plot by his bosses that, they're they're running out of meat supplies and so they need to come up with a new new supply of meat and it, it's the workers themselves and so uh he discovers this and has to escape and if, then he kind of af- after he gets out he uh i guess spoilers for a 20 plus year old game out. <laughs> uh, well i guess if you if you played soul storm you already know all this anyways but he gets out and he uh he frees a bunch of his, uh, mudok and coworkers and they end up burning up down the farm on their way out. And so like, and then as Abe progresses from game to game, it, he kind of keeps going up the chain of like these big, uh, corporate industrialist characters. And it's like, there's always someone higher every time you think, Oh man, this guy is the big, <laughs> big mean boss. There's someone above him, and and like, uh, you find out like these guys are being run by a cartel, and then like they're they're answering to someone else, and so it's like every game kind of expands the scope of what's going on in this world.
0: That sounds so awesome. Oddworld seems like such a quirky place. I loved this setting, and I thought the artwork was just incredible. You mentioned the heavy themes of industrialism and consumerism like this setting is just fantastic for me and this isn't necessarily my style of game but I loved I loved what I saw of the world of Oddworld I thought it was awesome Brinzi, what were your takeaways from the setting
1: Yeah, I I think I think it's really engaging and it's interesting because I I think they actually do a really good job of storytelling at the very start of the game, too, where you're kind of there with this like soothsayer, you know, that's that's like telling you these things that you have to do as Abe, you know, Uh, and I think that that's really interesting. And uh, like you were saying before, Scott, I think just in general, everything. Even though it looks like a kind of desolate wasteland, everything looks really good in the game. Um, and the animation, especially in the cutscenes, is really, really good. Uh, and I think just in general, especially like looking at the uh, original ads and stuff, I think the like the biggest thing going for it is that even though this game's been around for thirty some years now, they're still very unique and interesting looking characters. And like the world in general and the enemies all look like really neat and there's not a lot of other like games that have something that looks like that uh and so i think that's also something that's that's really big uh a really big plus for odd world in general um and that's one of the things that has always kind of had me interested in it. i just never had tried one of the games before
0: yeah the setting is awesome i think like the art design is probably a 10 out of 10 like i just loved the way this game looked and everything that I saw in Oddworld. Offer characters. The main character is Abe, a Mudakin who has his lips stitched together. He apparently uncovered some kind of conspiracy. We talked about all that. The game starts with their hideout getting exposed, and then Abe has to lead all the Mudakins to safety. Where, where... Or how does Abe stand out as a protagonist? And I guess, Scott, if you could fill us in if there's other characters in the game. But Joey, let's start with you and your thoughts on Abe as the main playable character and protagonist.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think Abe is... You get a good job, especially, like I said, with that cutscene at the start. Uh, You really get a chance to sort of see um, what it's like to be in Abe's shoes, which is good because you're controlling him through the whole game, right? But uh, And then... You get this idea that uh, he is doing this, but uh, he didn't necessarily sign up for it. He just kind of did what he wanted to do or thought should have happened. And now he's the leader of all these people and all these people look up to him. And so everybody that you go up to like, knows you, um, you don't necessarily know them, which I think is interesting Uh, Because you have all these different characters that you're like yelling across the map to and they're saying, go this way instead, you know, or something like that. And uh, and, and, and it's interesting because they all look the same, but they're individuals, but they all look the same other than Abe who has his like things stitched together and some of them are maybe wearing coveralls or whatever, but otherwise they all look so similar. So it makes it hard to differentiate so many of the other characters from each other. Um, but Abe has a conversation with different ones and, and they talk to him at different times Like the people that he's healing Or or when he's looking for the antidote The people are telling him different places to go To look for it But they're all kind of part of the uh, mob They're not individual characters That you get to know
0: You sounded so much like a glue on there They all look the same They're they're all expendable Let's just eat them <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, I I think, uh, Joey kind of nailed it earlier, um, saying that Abe kind of has a different role in this game than he did in the previous one, because now he's, you know, in the first one, he was just trying to escape and save his own skin, and now he's kind of been thrust into this role as a savior, and you can really kind of tell that he's, you know, the reluctant hero. He's like, I just kind of did what I needed to do at the time, I'm still not, you know, a hero. Um... And that's that's still kind of uh, fitting to his. Uh, whoop, did we lose you?
0: Nope, we're Hello? still good.
2: Oh, okay, sorry, my.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, we lost Scott. <laughs> oh no,
0: and the show <laughs> must go on. I thought Abe was really cool. I uh, when I first started playing this game, like I was really looking forward to sticking it to the evil farmer dudes, the glucons, like. Uh, he's a very relatable character. Cause I think like we all have moments when we feel like just a meek, regular person that isn't anything special. And we're all tasked with doing things that we don't necessarily, uh, want to do. And I think it's an interesting lens that Abe is this unwilling hero that everyone looks up to. Like it would be so awkward to be thrown into that situation. Welcome back, Scott. We lost you there for just a second. If you want to restate your point.
2: Oh yeah, no, sorry about that. Um, uh, yeah, no, I was just going to say that, uh, it's, it's kind of fits into his, his role as the unwilling protagonist and how he was never, um, he wasn't like the typical hero guy. He's always been this like scrawny, weak, pathetic looking guy. And like, uh, Lorne Lanning always says, he's, he's not the guy you want to be. He's the schlub you probably are. <laughs> That's awesome. But go on. <laughs> sorry to sorry to interrupt you.
0: <laughs> no, that was that was perfect. Um did we want to talk any more about Abe or any other characters in the game or should we move on to our closing thoughts and takeaways?
2: Um well yeah, I just there are there are a couple more characters um elf and toby which i'm not sure how much you get i think you guys have been introduced to them at this point where yeah. you are well they're
0: in um, the uh at the beginning right they're the ones shoveling the soul storm brew into the trains the sligs are chasing it down in the opening yes
2: oh yeah yeah that's right you see them in the in the flashback at the beginning um yeah and so those like of of course the the hundreds of Mudakins that you're saving in each level are going to look pretty identical and you're not going to be able to tell them apart Uh, But for the the characters that actually have a role in the story, I think this is the first time that they really differentiated their faces, because in the older games, you know, they they just used the same model and made Abe blue while the other guys are green. (laughs) But, you know, in in this one, they kind of changed their faces and gave them different voices. And uh, I thought they both turned out to be very likable characters. And uh, I, I won't go into too much about it here, but Alf has a big backstory on on his inclusion and like why he's a character in the game. Um, but and all of the Gluckens, I thought, were very uh, very distinct in how they look. and they that's kind of the same thing. They all had the same faces in the in the last game. And in this one, they kind of uh, made it a big deal to differentiate them by their expressions and and how their faces looked.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I wish I'd gotten further into the game, but I was also, I was just done with it. So maybe I'll kick off our closing thoughts. I'll start with this style of game is just not for me. I, you know, I'm not, I don't tend to replay games very much. Like I like to jump into a game, mess around, and kind of see what's there. For me, the most enjoyable thing would have been just plowing through the levels, not really caring about saving the It's Kind of like your first playthrough, Scott. Like if I had approached it like that entirely, I think that would have been my favorite playstyle, but I just don't see myself going back and trying to scour the levels, find everybody, save everybody, with like how um, just how tedious that process could be. But that's not to say that this is a bad game. Like I thought, there were a lot of things that were really incredible about it. Like the artwork uh, just shines through for it, and I would actually really like to see what happened. I might w- watch some videos. I'm definitely gonna watch all the endings on YouTube and just see what the different options were. Uh, and I thought this was kind of an interesting thought. Telltale Games doesn't exist anymore, but I thought this would be a setting that would be just wonderful for a Telltale-style game.
2: Uh, It's funny you bring that up, because I was just reading an article where they were uh, kicking around the idea of making an animated series, Um, and I don't know if they would be going over, like, you know, starting from the beginning and, like, running through the entire... Oh, I should mention that the entire series is supposed to be a quintology. There should be five games in Abe's story. I don't know if you've even mentioned that to this point. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I know that they, they talked about that a long time ago, too. Um, but of course, you know, the studios had some financial troubles and uh, now they're kind of bringing it up again. But just with the cutscenes that they had, um, I think that makes a lot of sense to... Just trying to play into that strong point and bring out some of the life in these characters. Um, so maybe, you know, you won't have to play through more games. You can just watch them as TV shows or movies or whatever, you know, animated form they come out in.
0: I think that would be a good fit for me. Burnsy, this was also your first trip to Oddworld. Summarize the experience. Like, what are your what are your takeaways from Oddworld Soulstorm?
1: So it, it, it's interesting because... It, it, so the, my experience with the game actually made me think of two different games uh, for two different reasons. Uh, one of them is Bloodborne, and I, know, I don't know if I said it on our Bloodborne podcast, but I know I said it when we were playing the board game and card game, is that I'm not 100% sure if the fun to frustration ratio is right. And eventually with Bloodborne that balanced out, Um, if we would have recorded this last night, as opposed to tonight, uh, I would say that it was hands down for sure, more frustration than fun. Um, but like in playing it more, I found more puzzles that I enjoyed and that I could get into. And I think maybe not being as I need to do whatever I can to save this one fricking dude, Uh, and if, okay, if he dies the fifth time, it's just done for, I'll maybe come back for him if I play it again, like maybe having a little bit more of that mentality will help me. I think one of the points I had with this, and this is the sort of second game that kind of came to mind while I was thinking about this is it, it feels almost like they wanted it to be difficult. Like a super meat boy is where you know you have to be very precise with how you approach this there's only a couple of solutions that you can go through and you just have to make sure you do everything right in the right order to not to be able to make it through the difference between this and super meat boy is if you fail in super meat boy you instantly restart you instantly restart and you're fairly close to where you died to where you cuz the the levels are very small in super meat boy and like one of the difficulties with this was Sure, you respawn at the checkpoint um, really quickly, but the problem is, is sometimes that checkpoint is ages ago on some of those maps. So sometimes it does a really good job of, you have like three checkpoints that you run through as you're trying to go through this area to grab a person, lead them over here, open this door, and you have like multiple checkpoints that you're tripping all the time. But then there's some of them where you have a checkpoint way at the top of the screen and you're weaving through all these things. Uh, There was one time where you have to collect like five or six dudes and try to get them to the exit. Uh, but you just had the one checkpoint. So you're starting the moment you triggered that checkpoint. Uh, it could solve it. If you could like, okay, I got two of these guys. I can make it back to the checkpoint. If I can trigger it again to save this state, like that would maybe help it. Um, but that's one of the spots where, um, I think maybe led to more of the frustration than maybe it needed to be. Um, Overall, I'm still intrigued. I might keep plugging through more of it just to sort of see what more of that story stuff is because I was intrigued by the story. Um, But it's just one of those things where it just so many other things just kind of felt a little off that if I'm looking at it as a $50 game, it makes it really hard for me to say, you should go out and spend your $50 on this game. Um, I think that's kind of where I'm left with it right now. I also don't know and maybe Scott could help answer this, is this a really good entry point into the series? Would one of the other games in the series maybe be, I don't know, necessarily more forgiving, but at least be a better way to sort of, like, get you into what Oddworld is and how the game works and how it's supposed to function, and then would that make the Soulstorm experience easier?
2: Right. Like, I, I um, have kind of struggled with that thought as well, Um I I was kind of curious to hear your guys' takes on this, being people who are coming into this series for the first time at this game. Um, But I, uh, yeah, I think it's it's a weird point to jump on. Um, Maybe not necessarily a bad one, but I'm not sure how much context you're getting from the first game. Not that you need to know a ton about it. You kind of get the quick, the idea that, you know, of what Abe's doing and why he's doing it. But um, I think yeah, like mechanically, it's a little weird to like I don't think new players could it's or it's as easy for them to see why they made the gameplay decisions that they made if they haven't played the old games. um but like I think I think the old games would still um, be a pretty good starting point. I mean, especially, you know, just going back to the first one. Or, or New and Tasty, I guess, which is the uh, the remake of the original Abe's Odyssey. So, the, kind of the prequel to this one. Um, I think if you go back and play that, I think, like, I don't know, like, I see, I've never recommended Oddworld games to anyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for as much as I love them. It's my favorite series of all times, but I understand, like, what a weird niche type of game this is, you know? So... Like I I don't know why I've just never like maybe I I kind of get that it's not gonna click with everyone, um and so if you guys do end up going back and playing those old games I'd be very interested to hear your opinions on those.
0: Well, uh, point A I'm never gonna go back and play the old games. (laughs) I
2: (laughs) watch I kind of figured not. (laughs) Yeah
0: I did watch I watched a bunch of videos and like I got caught up to speed I. I jumped into Soulstorm completely blank slate. I'd never been to Oddworld. I didn't look up anything beforehand because I wanted to know how they onboarded a new person to the franchise and uh, basically it opens with that awesome cutscene on the train and not long after that, Abe is talking to Big Face, the shaman, and it's like, it was kind of a weird place to jump into a story, but it was done really well and I was very interesting you get the point that uh, Abe had like escaped the farms and that the corporations were bad like I would have personally liked a little bit more backstory at that point but they did a really good job of getting like getting you up to speed with the very key points and then getting you into the gameplay
2: interesting okay
0: so Scott this is your favorite franchise this is the newest entry in it it was given away for free on PlayStation you've played through it I believe you said this is your third playthrough now
2: Yep, I just finished my third playthrough this morning, my uh, no-death run.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, what what are your key takeaways here? Like, are you happy with the state of where Oddworld is today? Was this game a big stumbling block? Is it a crowning achievement? Like, where did this... How did this game scratch that Oddworld itch for you?
2: Again i'm conflicted on it um i think there's there's a lot to love here and like obviously i've played through it three times now so (laughs) you know (laughs) if i couldn't stand it i probably wouldn't have done that but um you know there's the 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 way that they developed the characters and like they kind of redesigned abe in this game we didn't even really talk about that much but just his look and i think that kind of comes with updating the graphics um and that, like, the game looks absolutely beautiful. Some of the the biggest reason that I'm an Oddworld fan is the atmosphere and like the world itself. And a lot of that is still there, so that uh, makes it really easy to enjoy this game. Um, I think there's just like they stumbled on executing some of the mechanics. I think some of them are a little bit clunky and could have been done better. Um, so yeah, I, again I'm I'm conflicted on it. Uh, but I'm I'm hopeful for the future that uh you know, at least this next the next game if they ever if they say that they they were successful enough to actually make another one. Uh you know, it won't be compared to previous games like their last two which were basically remakes. Um so it'll be a whole all new experience and it'll take us to a place that no one's ever gone in odd world and so I'm very excited for that.
0: I totally agree like this style of game isn't my cup of tea and it never frankly will be but I do want so, to see game... Oh go ahead.
2: No, you keep saying that this isn't your uh, type of game and I totally understand that. Um what do you know about Stranger's Wrath? Another uh, odd world game.
0: Uh, I heard about it for the first time today, watching a video. That was one that was a different protagonist. It was a 3D. Was that the Xbox release title?
2: Yeah. Yep. It was a 2005 Xbox game
0: that got overshadowed by Halo and never got the acclaim that it maybe deserved. If I am parroting the video correctly.
2: <laughs> I I would agree with that. Yeah. That's... It's uh, yeah. It's a very different um, style of game. And it's, well, it's like, it's half third-person and half first-person shooter. And uh, it's, it's it has, like, a Western setting. It takes com- place in a completely different location on Oddworld. It doesn't have anything to do with Abe or any of the other protagonists. And so that, I feel like anyone could jump into that game at, at any time. And it, you know, you, you don't have to know anything about the rest of Oddworld. And that is another one of my favorite games of all time. And I, I replayed it recently, like just a couple of years ago, and it still holds up even today. So I would definitely recommend checking that one out. If you're interested in looking at any more odd world games.
0: Oh, that is awesome. That sounds like a perfect fit because I do want Soulstorm to be a commercial success. Like I really want them to have the flexibility to do the next game. And I want to see what's next. I just, you know, I, I love Oddworld. I love the setting and I really want to see what else can happen in this space. We generally like to close with a, our recommendations for buy it, rent it kind of thing. For me, as much as I appreciate this, like Oddworld for me is going to come in as like a sale type game. If an odd world game comes up at the right price, I will jump on it. If it, it releases for free at with PlayStation Plus at launch, I will certainly <laughs> add it to my library and be excited. Where does it come in for with you guys? Um, Scott, you're the hardcore fan. Is this... Franchise a buy it at launch, no questions asked. Title for you.
2: Uh, for me personally, absolutely mm-hmm. yes. I <laughs> ordered the uh, the special edition, which I don't think comes out until June. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, partially just because I wanted to give them some extra money, I want to support this this company. Um, you know, like I said, Oddworld is my my favorite uh, franchise, and I have two Oddworld art books in the bookshelf behind me um i can't get enough of it so i like there's no way that i would not have gotten this on day one i'm just glad that i had a ps5 to play it on
0: yeah (laughs) that's awesome bernsey where does it come in for you
1: uh so yeah so i would pick it up on sale if i didn't already have it for free from playstation plus possibly um i am though i would be probably very curious about what that next game could be um using the same engine and sort of building off of maybe what they've learned in the School of Hard Knocks of the last seven years working on this one, Uh, and and seeing maybe what they could do from there, fine-tuning some of the things that maybe they had issues with, and maybe bringing in more of that stuff that, like you said, exists in this universe, uh, but hasn't really been in a game yet, or just more of those creatures or enemy types that existed in the previous games that haven't really... Made it maybe into this sort of reimagining sort of universe that they've been building since New and Tasty. So I think I would be interested in seeing it from that perspective, seeing that game a lot more than um, maybe jumping into this one if I didn't already have it.
0: Well, do you guys have any other closing thoughts? Scott, anything else you want to get off your chest about Oddworld? You have a platform for your favorite game franchise. <laughs> too
2: much i would keep you here all night and as much as i would love that to just talk about oddworld because i don't think i've ever really talked to oddworld about anyone before for as much as i love it this, so this has been very nice to get a lot of this off of my chest <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> but just... i could i could seriously talk all day all night about the entire franchise and it's yeah there's there's so many aspects of the world to explore so uh i'll uh, i'll try and cut it off here
0: well Scott, maybe I'll put that to the test later this year. We had talked about doing an OIO extra life stream last year and it never really came together. What if we did an OIO odd world stream for Extra Life? 24 hours straight of odd Oh my god. <laughs> we could bring everyone over, we could take turns on the sticks. Like I think uh, I think that would be a really neat and unique experience.
2: That would be really interesting. That sounds like a challenge almost. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, well I
1: was going to say, be- like, Tom will play for a minute, Brian will play for a minute, and then Scott will play for 23 hours or <laughs> <and> 58 minutes.
0: <laughs> no, Scott, you cannot stop to pee until these games are done. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good stuff. Well, maybe we'll be able to pull that together. I think that would be a really fun thing to do. Bernsey, you have any burning thoughts on Oddworld before we close out? No, I think I got it all out. Terrific. Well, that's going to do it for our discussion today. Thank you so much for listening to OIO New Game Plus. If you like this standalone segment of Outside is Overrated, please support OIO on Patreon at patreon.com OIO. We'll be back next month to talk about MLB The Show, and then after that, I swear to God, we are going to talk about Bravely Default. <laughs> we'll get there. I promise. For Joey, for Scott, I'm Thompson Logic. Stay inside, kids.
2: Download Cycle Squirrels on Steam.